I forgot I had to speak into the microphone for a second. Oh, that's okay. It happens. Um, yeah, I'm Emily, and that's Stevie. Hi, and this is The Sex Files. This is Sex Files. The Sex Files. Welcome. We're really bad at intros. Can you tell? <laughs> that's what makes us us. That's but okay. You know what? You're right. That's our brand, and it's beautiful. Um, Emily has the background of Stella brushing her teeth. You know the one um, on her Zoom right now. I love it. I feel so comfort. I feel like there's like this angel behind me. Do you feel safe? Watch. Is that like your security blanket? Yeah. I think it's beautiful. You guys look great together. Just tell Julian that. <laughs> I'll, I'll text her right now, you know. Okay, okay perfect. With her yeah. number that I have. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Perfect. Um, <laughs> happy Halloween. Oh my god, yeah, it's Halloween. Halloween. <gasps> Halloween is my favorite. I love fall. Halloween is my favorite holiday ever. I'm sad because I'm not dressing up or doing anything because, you know, life and mm-hmm. quarantine. But I'm wearing an orange see- shirt and I'm going to watch Practical Magic later, so. As you should. And also, Stevie and I did have the idea to dress up as the two, um, what do you even call them? The two p- characters from the X-Files who were um, huffing oh spray paint. <laughs> yeah. In some episode, I don't remember which We'll one. do that at some point. But at some point, we will be dressing up as them. As them. I have her hair. I have to. I know. And you can lick a frog. I can what now? That's what he does. He licks a frog in a later episode. They're in it a few times. Are they? Yeah. They return. And then they returned in the revival because it was like, oh. I remember. Yeah. I remember them in the revival. They were in Um, Quagmire, too, on the dock. Were they? Licking toads. Yeah. Cool. Kicking rats. Licking toads. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) I would also like to say, whoever sent me a curious cat asking how many rats I could eat in one sitting, you're not getting an answer. <laughs> you, you'll never know. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, how has your week been? <laughs> Just wonderful. <laughs> how has your week been? I bet even better than mine. A giant pile of dog shit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like why was this week so horrible for everyone like so horrible thank god it's done i finally feel like i'm coming out of something though i think it was the week like i don't know i feel it was definitely the I week i feel better today but who for my uh friends with anxiety like not mm-mm. this week was not fun this was not fun i had a total resurface of like panic attacks that i haven't had in months and months and months so that was a blast but i'm feeling good now Mm. we take them as they come and i can tell the difference you are so much more yourself and it's so sad because i hate i hated seeing you like that and that's it i'm not gonna say anything else because i don't want to no thank you for bearing with me through this time stop (laughs) i've been telling her that all week (laughs) no there is no bearing i think this week literally every time we got on facetime to do anything i ended up in tears that's okay. You know that thing that I sent you, that tweet that was like, um, yeah, let me try to find it because that's actually a really good thing. But the point, you know, I'll wait to say the point. Um, but I was just like going through it this week because I was, anxiety is an interesting thing. For me, I won't speak for other people, but for me, anxiety feels like there's like a fat man sitting on your chest. 
and also that there's boiling water in your stomach. Like I can't eat. I get so like nauseous and uneasy constantly. And then everything just sends me on the verge of tears and anxiety feel like when I'm having panic attacks, it feels like the end of the world. Like it feels like that is the end. And I have to, and I'm trying to remind myself like I do when I'm in, um, when I have peaceful mind moments, like I'm in right now that like everything, it really does pass. And it did like I, this week fucking sucked. And I was like, I can't do this. And like freaking the fuck out. And now I'm okay. So it truly does pass, but holy shit. I think I was just so fixated on like, I can't be in that mental space again because I had like a major mental breakdown my sophomore year of college um, mm-hmm. because of research trauma. We love that. Um, but I was like so fixated on the mental headspace. That, like, I can't do this again. I can't like be in this headspace. Like I won't get through well, it yeah, again. Of course. But you really helped me by reminding me that I'm not the same person that I was three years ago or whatever everything is different the situation is totally different it's not going to be the same and it's not and if it comes back again I have I know I have the tools and stuff it just sucks well it's also just like the people that you had in your life at the time are not the same as the people that you have in your life Mm -hmm. now so that makes the big and because of like what ended up being triggering was you know that was crucial to that Um, like other people were crucial to what ended up treating yes. you. So it's like, of course, it's going to be different. Yeah, because I was in a situation where other people were actively adding to my panic rather than helping aid it. So I wasn't, um, I didn't know how to, you know, I didn't know how to um, accept the support that I was being offered. And so I'm learning. We're all learning. It's gross. And I also just want to say, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but like with other people in your life, it's like you should never fear that something that you're going through is going to personally or mentally or anything is going to um, make people want to not be in your life anymore. Because while that may be the case for some people, those are not people that you want in your life. Like if you don't have the ability to communicate with your, with the people in your life and to the best of what you and to your capacity, help them in any way and support them in any way that you can. It's it's hard if you're if you're really struggling mentally and your friends act, use that as a tool to further bring you down, pushing your mental instability at the moment as like making it a flaw, a character flaw about you, something that you're doing wrong and you're not doing well, it's anything. It's also like wrong. they it's also like they use it as um, an inconvenience in their life. Yes. As opposed, like they 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 put like they take the situation, and I mean it's just selfish, but they take yeah. the situation and they frame it as like they're it's surrounding them, like mm-hmm. it's all. How does this impact my life? Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying like, how can I make sure that this doesn't impact my friend's life as exactly. much as I possibly can to my ability. Yeah. And it's not your job to be your friend's therapist, obviously. Like you don't need to, like if you're sacrificing your own mental health to help your friends, obviously there needs to be some adjustments, but you can do that and make the, and set those boundaries in a way that doesn't make your friend who's going through it feel like, like you hate, like, what's the word? Like feel like they are causing you extra stress because they're already drowning themselves. Like they don't need, it just pushes you down further. It's not helpful. 100%. Lots of not very accurate metaphors. Um, I maybe should have written some stuff if I was going to talk about this. I no, that's okay. Like, but but that's how it is. Like it's yeah. hard to articulate as you know. As I know. Um, the majority of my frustration this week because I, when I first started going to therapy for panic attacks and anxiety and trauma on um, PTSD, 
a fun little concoction. Um, it's a great cocktail. Uh, I f- found comfort in identifying the causes of my trigger, like identifying my triggers, identifying what's causing me to feel this way, what I can do to get out of it. And so I kind of hyper analyze now my own emotions and my feelings and where things are coming from. And that's not always the most helpful, especially if I can't find a specific cause like with this, um, like period. Yeah. This just period of like heightened anxiety. It was a bunch of small things on top of each other that just quickly pushed me over my tipping point. And it wasn't one big thing like I was looking for. And so that was frustrating for me because I was like, well, this one small thing wouldn't cause it, but this one small thing paired with at least 12 other small things can pile up to make a really big thing. It's like little teas, little traumas. And I just want to say too, like I, um, cause we were talking about that. And of course, like with you struggling to articulate, I was struggling to like comfort you and try to help you. Cause of course, like your initial reaction is like, you want to come, like you want to get to a solution and you want to be able to figure out, as you said, the, the root cause of something so that you can begin to mm-hmm. process it and heal mm-hmm. from it and everything. And I, was hesitant to point out because I did notice a difference. Like there were signs that like possibly had led to the period of heightened anxiety, but I was scared to say something because I didn't want CBD to get mad at me, but I wanted to be honest. And so just because of my past and friendships that I've had, um, it was always kind of like a sugar coating situation. Oh, yeah. You which never is so have sugar coat with me. Oh, well, I know now. Mm-hmm. And being on like me being honest with Stevie is ultimately what led her to kind of figure out like yeah. maybe consider that as a possibility for what was happening and so it's like just honesty is the is the best gift that you can give someone especially like, your friends especially your friends and like the outcome is is out of your like you the out you have to take the outcome with with, with your stride mm-hmm. is, that, is that the phrase you know what I mean yeah like take it in your stride and like not worry about not saying something because you're worried about the outcome. Yes. Like you have to take the outcome in your stride. Yeah. If, and I had to work on doing honesty. And I had to work on doing the same thing with you because oh, we in it like inadvertently um ended up in a situation that was very triggering for me because of a past friendship situation I dealt with and I really, I, I articulated it to you, but I was really scared to, because I don't know how to ask for what I need without feeling like it's too much. Like I could ask for the absolute smallest thing and feel like I'm asking too much. And it's, it's a journey to learn that it's okay for me to articulate. It's okay for me to have needs. I'm human and not be afraid to say them because you were so, you were immediately like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, of course. Like that's literally so small, but I was like, this is going to be the end of the friendship also because of anxiety brain that makes everything like a catastrophe. But you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. Um, And like the small, can I say what the small thing was? Yeah, go for it. Because I feel like a lot of people don't even, wouldn't even, like aren't even thinking that this is what it was. Yeah. Um, Well, this is part of it. But um, so basically Stevie was like, when like these things happen, like when, um, when we're doing these things <laughs> so vague <laughs> but like like I just will need some like extra reassurance and like some extra love like just so that I know that like everything is okay even though I know it is I just need like that extra reassurance and it's like that's so valid that is so valid 100 percent 
Like that is not something that would compromise anything about my capacity to support you or my mental health or anything. And this is not going to talk, this is not going to turn into us talking directly to each other, but <laughs> the moral well, of the story. The whole thing was, is that I'm, I'm going to get emotional now talking about it because I have never had somebody, it's not that I've never had somebody, but in the situation that I was in, because I have some amazing friends, but in the situation I was in before, the one person that I was really needing reassurance from was the one who was actively doing the opposite, pushing me yeah. down, making me feel like I wasn't worth um, any kind of love at all, much less reassurance in that love. Uh, and so it was so alt- life altering. <laughs> um, um, it was just, it was so like revolutionary for me that you would be like, of course I can give you that. Like, yeah, just tell me what you're needing right now. And I'm more than happy to support you because I've never had that kind of forthcoming support when I'm really, when I was in that mental space, I didn't have what I was needing before. And so I'm really grateful for you. And it was like, we tried to record an episode of this two days ago, this episode, and I ended up just bursting into tears. (laughs) It's all recorded. (laughs) Maybe if we ever make a Patreon, we'll release some of that conversation. (laughs) We got it all on camera. like extra content. But I just like started crying. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I don't know what I'm saying. I feel like I don't have a voice that's worth being listened to. I don't like all of the shit that we preach to you guys. I was saying the opposite about myself. I'm going to use this podcast as like an opportunity to not only be uplifting all of you who are listening, but like help uplift ourselves too, because it's it's easier to, to... like I know objectively a lot of the things that I need to be doing to be healthy and to be strong and in, in my power. Um, but that contrasts with a lot of my subjective feelings that are still very ingrained. Totally. So just going to try to take our own advice more. And the, you guys being uplifted by things that we're saying uplifts us. And 100%. It's incredible and beautiful. And that's all. Um, so I, the quote was, well, not quote, but this person tweeted, yeah um grow as you please if i have to get to know you again i'll do that and like that's my favorite thing ever to send to stevie because it's like it's so true and growth is uncomfortable and it's vulnerable and it's not perfect and it does come in the form of exactly what you were experiencing this whole past week and so i'm not going anywhere i love you so much i love you more we weren't gonna do <laughs> we weren't gonna do a whole um sex talk this uh beginning episode because we're tired and the episode last time was a lot. But but that was some good stuff. That was like I would I mean, I had no mental health counselors in high school and I feel like both of those things are, are connected. Um yeah. Yeah. When I was in, I didn't start seeing a therapist. So I was in college and I saw a really bad therapist that actually triggered, triggered my mental breakdown. And then I got in contact with my therapist that I just loved with all of my heart. And then my college completely drops your mental health resource when um, you graduate. So I graduated in May and then I'm not allowed to see her anymore. And that was a hard adjustment, um, especially because she was so instrumental in my healing. Uh, and so, but maybe that was meant to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I emailed her, and I'm in, I'm in process of getting in contact with another one because therapy's cool, kids. Therapy is that's what <laughs> cool kids do. It's true. God, I fucking love therapy. I love therapy. Everyone go. Ask, <laughs> just ask Jillian Anderson. Just ask Jillian. Anderson. Miss Miss, I've been in therapy since I was fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Um, but anyways, we got a lot of questions when we were putting up. Um, like stuff that people want to talk about for sex corner. Uh, but we got a lot of cool questions that aren't necessarily big enough to answer like 
individually for a whole sex corner. So we're just going to answer some of the little fun ones for you before we get into this uh, dumpster fire of an episode. <laughs> the dumpster fire, literally. It's not fire, it's dumpster fire. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized the episode is called Fire. That's so funny. <laughs> That'd be a fun title. That's so funny. <laughs> I just blew Emily's mind right now. You say you're not funny. You're so funny. You're not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Only you That's think so I'm funny. funny. That's okay. That's all that matters. Audience of one. Audience, yeah. That's all you need. Um, all right, okay. Let's get to the question. All right. Someone said, what are your pronouns? The intersectional feminism vibes on this show are God tier. Well, first, thank you. Thank you so much. That's, That's all like, we want to do. Yeah. Yeah, we'll because talk about it. We talk. We'll talk about it at the end, very fucking briefly. Very briefly, but um, <laughs> we're not gonna get into it. But we'll, yeah, we're not. We'll touch on it. Yeah, we really like try to hold ourselves accountable to really make sure that we're and continue to educate ourselves as we're like, because the more you ask topics, the more we read more and yep, the, <laughs> <laughs> the more we read more. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me, so educated. <laughs> Anyways, it helps us learn more about things, and it's it's beautiful, and we love it. Um, our pronouns are both she, her, hers. Thanks for your question. Thank you. Um, do you have any fix about MS cuddling, LOL? I mean, I have one. I have a spooning one that turns into sex. I don't know if you want that or if you strictly want cuddling, mm. um, but I can – I can do that one and then we can do a little, I can say that one and then we can do a little bit of homework and find some yeah. very mushy. We'll do some homework and we'll find some and we'll post them with this thread. Absolutely. So the one that I was thinking of is by story by Corey on Tumblr. I don't know that she has a Twitter, but um, it's by story by Corey. Um, it's a spooning turn smut, like very lazy sex fic story by Corey on ao3 so everything she writes is amazing so it's true um, she's incredible yeah if you don't check out that story especially especially it's just pretend especially read you that. read that one yes, did you i have. what was the yes. what was the what was the plot it's, the plot is where Mulder and scully go under not undercover they're like spot like um listening in in a hotel oh, um, to the room okay. next to them. Should I brief in case I like to entice people? Cause yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So basically Mulder and Scully are in a hotel and they're listening in on and like spying on the room next to them. Um, and they think that they get word that the people next door know that they're listening, that they're next door. So it becomes, uh, scully's brilliant idea to pretend like they're having sex so that the people next door won't suspect anything and then and then and then yeah we'll do some homework we'll post some cuddling pics um okay oh so we mentioned before like guess our favorite x-files episodes and then we never said what they were so somebody said so what was your guys's favorite x-files episode um and they are we have the same top two they're the same all things and <laughs> never again <laughs> i can't even think about that episode no um <laughs> never again is gonna be a ride when we do that i don't know that we're gonna be able to emily's freaking out so i'm gonna talk about all things for a minute all things is fucking incredible jillian anderson wrote and directed it first the fuck of all second of all it's just such a 
it's the complex exploration of Scully that she deserves. It's just such a, yeah, it's such a departure from her one dimensionality. Yep. One yeah. dimensionality. Yeah. Is that a word? Yeah, it is. Um, she, Chris Carter gave her the entire series and it's like, wow, it's amazing how incredible it is when you let um, women do anything. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I fucking love that episode. And then never again, we can't talk about, but just know that. <laughs> I just start joking. No, but then also for all things too, in all seriousness, it's amazing because I just love the concept. And every time Jillian's talked about it, she's like, I don't know if that comes out. Like, I, this is what I wanted, but it I don't so know. If did. That, it does. So good. Yeah. Like her whole. It's very um, metaphysical, which like, is a great departure from all the um, bullshit. Not only all the supernatural aspects, but like also the, like the <laughs> religious side of Scully that, that definitely pinholes her as like the Mother Mary type figure. Um, in this um <laughs> moves her away from that a little bit and it's just beautiful and it feels like there's a lot of jillian in it so it feels very personal totally it's such an incredible episode i was just gonna say i really like the whenever jillian talks about it she always talks about how she really wanted it to be about um choice and about which like queen good for her um and just about like because it is, I, I, it's very prevalent in my life, which is like the idea of like, what if there was only one right choice and just, just choices in general and like how different your life could be if you make one choice over the other or things like that. And so it kind of speaks to like what's meant to be will be and, and, and that, which I really, really, really like. Mm, it's true. And so, yeah, and never again is Never just, again is just the hottest thing ever. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Never again is like raw sexuality in a television episode. Like that's it. That's all it is. After so much repression, you know? So it's just like that. There's going to be a lot. I can't even. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. That's going to be like a five hour long episode. We should just release Never Again Unedited. The episode that we do. (laughs) If you hear some vibrating mic business. Okay. Um, anyway, somebody else asked. Somebody else said um, about our virginity discussion last episode. They said, Virginity makes me so mad. I mistakenly told my mom I lost it at 16 and she slut shamed me, really fucked me up. First of all, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. That's horrible. That's ho- I wow, hope we just said that at the same time. <laughs> it is. It's it is. Horrible. And I hope that you're able to find some peace and healing in that part of yourself and love and love 16 year old you for being amazing and incredible and having and i hope it was a good and consensual sexual debut for you uh and just imagine like your little 16 year old self um with us and just like just one huge hug is happening right now huge hug lots of tea and Mm -hmm. comfy pjs and movies and And just love and chocolate yeah we're loving you I think we want to do a segment on slut shaming potentially. We definitely do, yeah. So yeah, we can definitely get more into that. Um, yeah, at a later date. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, it's like I remember crying in my mom's lap when I told her that I lost my quote unquote virginity, penetration virginity, whatever, because I felt like I was like dirty or grown up, all like too fa- like or ruined, like I don't know. And then it was just my mom seemed kind of mad that I had lied to her about where I was the night. I like made my sexual debut um and then she ended up being really supportive and my mom and i have an amazing relationship but like i think she was throwing there's so much stigma around it it's it's ingrained in your parents too not that that excuses it you know what i mean but um i just felt so viscerally like i had done something wrong um 
And then later I went through a whole nother crisis about my quote unquote virginity being lost when I was like realizing that it was actually when I was assaulted. And it's so, but now I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, fuck the patriarchy, fuck the men who made me feel like they had control over my body. I choose when and where my sexual debuts happened. And I can talk about only the experiences I want to. And like, that's, I decide that I have the control. Nobody took anything. Shame manifested in a, like a kind of a different way because I never talked to my parents about that ever at all, mm-hmm. even now. Which and creates so, a whole other kind of shame, yeah. Exactly. And so it was like my – all I knew was like um, the thought embarrassed me. The thought of talking to them about it embarrassed me. The thought of them knowing embarrassed me and um, gave me hives. <laughs> uh-huh. And I shouldn't say embarrassed in the sense of like – because it's like sex and it's like like that's not what I'm saying at all but it embarrassed me in the sense that like I was ashamed it's so convoluted it's so complicated but like we could probably do another episode on virginity yeah exactly um but there was a shame in the there was I guess the shame manifested in how I viewed um sex mm-hmm. not necessarily something that my parents directly made me feel yeah but like if that makes sense sort it of it's like the way that I viewed it was like because it was all sneaking around and because it wasn't something I could talk about openly um it was something that I shouldn't be doing and so it was like how that manifested in me and how I viewed just everything like sex um and you know relationships with boys at the time um beyond friendship like all of that how all of that manifested within me and myself and my mental health Mm -hmm. shameful and and something that needed to be repressed and and all of that and look at me now look at you now that's such a beautiful transformation and um we're just all here we all need to give our 16 year old selves a big hug seriously including jillian yeah everybody big time big time huge um, and then somebody else sent a question um, asking about STDs, just like general questions about it. And I would also love to do an episode on um, STDs. So that's Def- definitely in yeah. our um, book. Maybe we'll do a little poll and see which one you'd rather hear first. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. I think she was asking like, can you like, can you just have an STD or do you have like, do you catch it from someone? Oh. So yes, you can just have, you can be born with um uh, HIV yeah. or AIDS. There are some that you can be born with that can be trashed, um, passed down intrauterinely. But every other one um, you get from somebody. You get, you contract from someone else. So just, you know, keeping a check if you are. And it's um, okay if you get one. It's, oh, it's, totally it's really not, okay. Not to get, not to get into it. Not but to get yeah, into it. Like now. it is not something to be ashamed of no, at all. You're at not all. dirty. It's so common. It's way more common than you'd think. And it's really okay. Just get checked often and be up with your health. Mm-hmm. And if you get it, it's not, if you get one, it's not the end of the world. It's really okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay. I know. And, <laughs> yeah. And also um, I think we'll provide some resources too, because yes. I know um, for me, Planned Parenthood was a big, um, was a big, I mean, it was and is void pandemic, but was and mm-hmm. is like a huge resource for me. Yeah. Same. Um, so, so we'll provide all of that stuff too mm-hmm. when we talk about them yeah. more in depth. More in yeah. depth. But we'll do a poll and see which one you'd rather hear first: slut shaming or yeah. STDs. Um, is that is that is that a good? Yeah. Will you be able to like keep that? Yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah, we'll be okay. able to. Um, somebody else said, I don't know if you want to keep this in, but somebody said discussions on self pleasure and just the whole context around that. 
Um, Cause we've been talking a lot about this and we will continue to talk about that. So um, please keep listening. Cause Emily and I want to talk about masturbation all the time. Yeah. That's yeah. Our favorite thing. Yeah. Duh. Um, um, and what episode was it that we really, do you remember that we really got into it for this person in case they're listening? I think it was. It was shadows. Was it shadows? Yeah. Episode six shadows. We talk a lot about, um, we talk. We had, there was a lot of sex toy recommendations in the beginning, and that was when we first started talking about penetration not being the be all end all. Yeah, and we'll yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about that all the time mm-hmm. if you want. Yeah, we're happy. If to. you want, we always want to talk about it. Um, yeah. Somebody just sent us. It's like why you know, <laughs> and I felt that. I really felt that on a visceral le- visceral level. Like, that's like that's the mood. That's Honestly, the mood. It is like why. Just I do know. Everything. We do know. Yep. And then last, last, last but not least, somebody wants to know our favorite MSR moments. Do you want to go first? I'll, I'll go first with the one that I'm thinking of, okay. and then you can go because I know you have a couple, and I'll think as, I'm, as you're speaking. Okay. I'm a dummy. You're a dummy. <laughs> yes, I am. There's a line um, in Seinfeld where – oh, yeah, okay. So it's the episode – I reference Seinfeld a lot in this podcast, but it's my other favorite show, so just bear with me. Yeah. It's uh, so George has constructed a bed under his desk at work so that he can sleep. His boss comes into his office with his grandchildren and he's like, oh, they're not here. So we'll just wait for him. Mm -hmm. But he's under the desk. So he calls Jerry because there's a phone under his desk, of course, (laughs) I think. So he calls Jerry and he's like, explaining this so rapidly to him and he's like i'm under the desk blah blah blah. my boss is in here with his grandkids like i need to do something and after he rant like goes on for like about a minute jerry just goes who is this and it's just so funny and they use that in the x files there's an episode where scully i don't ask me what episode it is but scully calls Mulder and is like Mulder, if you if you find if you come back and you find my dead body here just know that my last thoughts were of you or something and how i'd like to kill you um and then he says who is this and that i love it so much and it gets me every time that moment was just for you emily it gets me why, why is that my humor i don't know but it's okay it's my humor so is funny. sudden screaming so at least yours has some intelligence to it anyone if you just shriek out of nowhere i will think that's the funniest shit i've ever seen because it is funny it, it is, is funny. funny anyways but that's my that is one of my favorite moments <laughs> i'm gonna start doing that to you when you call me please do i don't get who me. is this <laughs> Okay, what's your what's what's yours? What's yours? Okay, so I have a lot of small ones that like I just love. Like I love all of the permanum flashbacks because I'm a simp mm. and mm. they make me emotional and the acting's good even though I hate the plotline with every fiber of my being. Like I have a lot of those moments. I love like those things. I love like when they're in the bed together in Requiem, like those like really basic ones when they're in the bed together and I wanna believe. But I think my favorite moment, this is really small, is you know in Orison, do you know that episode where they bring back Donnie Faster? <sighs> Oh, yeah, I know that episode. And she fucking murders him, first of all. I love that she kills him. I, mean, I love, love it. that she kills him. I love it. And I love that afterwards, she's, like, stressed because she knows that he didn't do anything. Like, she just shot him. Like, he didn't – it wasn't self-defense at that point. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it was – arguably, she shouldn't have shot her weapon. And she was worried about it. And Mulder was just like, no, like, I got you. Like, yeah whatever you want the report to reflect it's going to reflect that and it was just that kind of she's just been fucking traumatized 
and That's she such a good rightly one. murdered him and then he's just like no I'm, i got you i support you like he was just like no i'm here i you got it oh whatever what you a, need what a departure i know for molder i from I didn't other moments yeah but he does yeah. that in that episode he's just like whatever you want the report to reflect like wow and I'd also I'd also like to to note that she's one hundred percent wearing his his pajama top because it's ginormous it's and so not hers. No, no way. Yeah, but yeah, I really like that moment. I rem- I think about that moment a lot. That comes back to me. That's amazing. I love I love that so much. It's just like all of this like there it happens not very often, but the few moments that Mulder puts aside himself and actually is there for her in her trauma totally really stick out to me. It doesn't happen very often, but that's one of them. That's amazing. I love that answer so much. Thanks. Um, I had another one and I can't. Oh, um, in Fight Club, which is a fucking horrible episode, mm-hmm. there's a moment when when Scully brings the guy that they're looking for to to show mold like to Mulder. They're in mm-hmm. a crowd somewhere. There's a moment where Scully like Mulder sees her, and she gives him the fucking cutest smile i've ever seen in my entire life it's so cute and i was so fixated i'm just realizing now on her reaction that i have absolutely no idea what he looked like or how he reacted to that so i don't either moment but holy she's smiling at him it counts yeah exactly yeah that's so good my other favorite msr moment is when (laughs) it's at the end of never again when scully says this is my life yes that really people definitely expected us to say the simpy moments and we were like no no (laughs) no that scene that scene hits and then he stopped and then he shuts the fuck up which is my favorite part about it he's like oh yep he's like i don't and that really threw him for a tizzy tizzy i'm 90 what no i love that i love that for a tizzy the fuck is a tizzy that's so cute i love that Okay, should we get into the episode? Let's get to take the episode. Lunch. If we have to, shut the fuck up. <laughs> let's go. Let's try to go as quickly as we can. <laughs> okay. So fire, yay! <laughs> just get boo, boo. Chris Carter wrote it. We're just and you can it. tell <laughs> it shows fucking explicit. It shows. Um, this episode is so poorly written. Oh my god, I know. So we open in England. There's some man, uh, dramatically dramatically making a runway out of his driveway (laughs) he is strutting down the driveway and this and all the it's just such a weird scene like whoever made these acting directions were just like i don't fuck off the rocker yeah um so some weird gardener is like staring him down and then the man just bursts into flames (laughs) while his wife and children are watching <laughs> um and they focus in on this man and I think the guy calls him Cecil and then yeah Cecil just watches him weird his wife his kid all of them are just like eh. um except for Cecil he's kind of he's kind of uh he looks like he's getting off to it which is concerning and has absolutely turns out to be true but has absolutely zero uh importance in the plot whatsoever yep it's just like a fun little addition Cut to DC. Scully and Mulder are coming back to their car after a day in court. And I love this little bit. Me too. They find that it's unlocked. Um, it's light. It's flirty, but it's very professional. She laughs at him. Mm-hmm. Like he says, that's one of the few perks about hunting down aliens and mutants. You rarely get to pass charges, and she laughs. 
I know. Like the jokes, when I say it's flirty, I mean like they're telling jokes that only the two of them would find funny. I know. And it's like this scene is so like they're in a really cute groove together as partners, like doing like the basic mm-hmm. procedural shit. And like I would love to see more of that. And it's cool to see them in this place. And then of course this episode fucking flips that on its head and then you don't see it anymore. Yep. So they get in the car and there's a tape sitting on the dashboard and Mulder says Um, I told you I locked the door. And she's like, what the fuck? Mm. So they put the tape in and it basically says that their car has been armed with a bomb um, by putting in the tape and opening the door handle will detonate it. Then the fucking door opens and they literally both shit themselves. Like Scully actually launches herself out of her seat. Yeah, literally. And it turns out it's Phoebe Green, who is an (laughs) old friend of Mulder's, apparently, is what he says. Do you have something to add? She looks like Dory. <laughs> Dory? Dory. Yeah, she does. The fish? The fish. Wait, I'm going to show you right this second. I should have had these up. <laughs> You're going to show yourself. Oh, my God. Freckles and all. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> this is what I've been holding on to for days. Okay, look. Ready? Okay, now I see wait, wait. <laughs> You don't even need to show me. I see it. Oh, my God. <laughs> You didn't even need to show me the picture of Dory. That picture. Oh my god! Holy shit! She looks okay. just like Dory. Holy shit! Okay, I was really high when I made that realization. Only a high brain could could put those two. No, together. that's amazing. She, though, that's amazing. And that's all I could think um, about anytime she was trying to be sexy. I was like Dory. And <laughs> it's Dory. So, anyways, so Dory kisses Mulder, and she fucking lingers like with a ginormous capital L. Yeah. And, and then she Scully flashes like- she flashes Scully a very sassy side-eyed look which I do not like no. at all. Like uh, <laughs> Okay. So Scully clearly senses um what I know Chris Carter intended to be tension and jealousy um but what Jillian portrays as just like disrespect because it is that's what it is. Yeah. Um, like, didn't your parents teach you any manners, Phoebe? What the fuck? I know. And it's like, like, she's acting as if she's Mulder's wife. No, literally. It's like, like, no, you have no intimate connection whatsoever right now. You're in front of two federal agents and like Mulder's an old acquaintance. That's it. Yeah. Well, this is Chris Carter's fantasy is that like, he has like a female in his life who's like, is in love with him. And then an old flame comes back and like two women, women are fighting over him. Like, this is what this is. He's just playing out his fucking fantasy. (laughs) You know, I'm right. Oh my god. Okay, we'll get into that more, but like yeah. the projection, wow. So, this whole like <clears throat> let's just talk about it for a second yeah. cuz Phoebe whispers to Mulder, she uh she hates me. Right off the back, all she said was hello. Like We're like, huh? First of all, before we even get into the trope of that, can we just talk about what a fucked up prank that is? Like that's borderline traumatizing to make them think they're going to die and be like, "Tee, hey." Scully's like, yeah, I do hate you right now because you're literally inside Mulder right in front of my salad. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> but like, in all seriousness, like, here's the ticket, right? Mm-hmm. I don't hate Phoebe. Is she personally problematic because she's manipulative and she like is very gaslighty? Yes. yes. But I hate, just like on the surface, I hate that Chris Carter wrote this episode and like, 
his first introduction of another woman who is smart and capable and confident is making her a bitch towards other women. Yeah. And then making Scully insecure and jealous. Exactly. And it's like, like as if this is the way that women interact with each other and like, and like maybe sometimes they do, but the reason women act this way is because of patriarchal standards that pin women against each other. Yes. Like for falsely, like falsely promising these advantages yeah. for siding men. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm just, oh. and like, here's the thing. I love Jealous Scully. Everyone loves Jealous Scully. Like I would, but I would love her more in, inhibitedly. Like I, I, I have conflict with it if it was a two-way street and had to do with the complexities of her and Mulder's relationship rather than like the unfunny joke that's derived solely from the notion that all women hate each other like if it really was about their relationship and how that dynamic is forming and we also saw with him and it was like complex I would love that exploration it would be so fun to see but it's literally just the blanket stereotype that women hate each other that's all there's nothing more to it they're just like yeah they're just gonna she's gonna hate it and it's gonna be exactly then get a cake out of that because it makes it fuels their ego because i feel like women are fighting over them like it's frustrating how much um how much Mulder is made a hero in this in this episode and like i'll talk about it more but like but it's also just like okay i love jealous scully also but she angers me in this episode not scully doesn't anger me the way that she was written angers me because i know it's just the only reason it's manifesting this way is because it's Herc being so confused by the sudden outsider when she's so used to Mulder and Mulder and her being the outsiders together. Yes. So like it manifests in a way exactly like you said th- that suggests that she hates other women and that Phoebe hates her. Yeah, for no reason. Like for, for what? When really Phoebe's written so rude that of course she'd be put off. So it has rude. nothing to do with her gender identity at all. Uh, CB and I talked about this briefly, but like we also wanted to point out to um, how much more mature Phoebe is made to look in comparison to Scully. Mm-hmm. And it's framed as like, sh- this is a woman. Like Phoebe is a woman and Scully is like this little baby who's like never been kissed before. But then like they literally, literally in the next episode – um hyper analyze her daddy issues like make it make sense well the thing is is that i mean i was gonna talk about this later but i can bring it up briefly now is that phoebe is allotted all of her sexuality and like she's allowed to be an inspector who is clearly appreciated like she's she's validated as an inspector who's good at her job and is called brilliant multiple times who has full access to her sexuality but somehow it's made out to be the bad guy in the end like she really is actually like not good at all and scully is praised for her lack of sexuality by the end of the episode because it's her lack of sexuality that allows her to get the information to solve the case when really it has nothing to do with that but that's what you know what i mean did that make any sense that is arguably i nothing that either of us will say will top what you just said you know what I mean? because that is it like that's it and it's it's so telling because knowing that Chris Carter's intention was to make Scully sexless um, proves that point yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. That Scully is rewarded by solving the case because she was able to reign in her sexuality. Mulder's never punished for that at all. No, it's just like it's just a like fun little. It's just something thing. that he gets to f- engage in for with no consequence at all. It has no it has no impact on his work as it shouldn't. For everybody, for anybody. Back at the office, 
the basement office, Phoebe is explaining that the perpetrator burns his victims alive and there's no evidence left at the crime scenes. He men- She mentions that he sends love letters to the victim's wives. I love how she's talking only to Mulder this entire time. It, it just, again, is like in space. It plays on this trope that all women hate each other inherently, despite the fact that the only universal female experience is otherness, like is oppression. And therefore, like a solidarity around that, especially in a man's world, which Phoebe and Scully both occupy. I think Scully maybe asks, like, how did you get this case or something? Mm -hmm. And she says, I figured my good friend Mulder couldn't resist this case, basically, is what she says. Like, as she's leaning into him and, like, being hypersexual, and it's like, maybe acknowledge Scully, because she's also going to be working on this case that you're bringing to Mm -hmm. Mulder. Like, it just goes back to, again, like, this isn't anti-feminist. No, it's not. Because the thing is, is that we're not, this isn't a real woman. This is a woman written exactly. by a man. Exactly. And so we're criticizing the way that she is being, that she is written by and men, that's th- which is criticizing and- the men, which we love to do. Exactly. And it's like the episode still would have worked if she treated Scully like a human being. Literally, that's not a necessary. You still could have included Scully being like, oh, like when she sees them kiss and like allude to that, maybe being like a forming crush or something. Totally. Without pinning them against each other. Yep. And it's like when she leaves, she half heartedly says, oh, goodbye to, to Scully as she leaves, like acknowledging that she has not even realized that she was in the room. And it's like, this is so clearly written by men who believe that women can't be kind or friends or like professional with each other. It's like Chris Carter's 15 years old. He's like, he, he, all the women, they hate each other, but they all want me. Like, fuck off. Yeah, literally, literally. Like, That's the plot. Because he sees himself as molder. It's disgusting. I was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. Like, he sees himself as molder, but he is really Cecil. Yes. Like, he is. He's a fucking incel. Yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's not, I'm overheating. Let's, let's, Sorry. let's. So Mulder tells Scully that her, him and Phoebe dated and that she broke his heart. And then Scully says, Mulder, you just keep unfolding like a flower. Like, yeah, you're right. All we learn about Scully is that she has daddy issues. Like her entire life story, all the branches that make her who she is get hijacked by her trauma. And then that isn't even properly explored by no. her. Mm-mm. The trauma makes her a more developed character, but it's still not properly explored. Whereas Mulder has a whole fucking backstory. Like, let's just give him that and ignore Scully. I love it. I don't give two shits about Mulder's history. I know. I don't care. I just want to look at him. Can I uh, can you just be quiet and let me look at him? Please. So um then uh we get a dick joke. And Jillian was so excited to say it. She could literally barely get it out fast enough. Like she w- she had to contain herself and like get the speed at which she said it. She had to slow that down so hard because she was just like, she was like ready to say it, which is so it's cute. So cute. So Mulder says that he's going to send this case to the arson guys and then she's, he's leaving the case to Phoebe. Scully then plays therapist in like a very gentle way and warns him that Phoebe might have ulterior motives because all women are sneaky and none of them can be trusted is what we learn. Mm -hmm. Do I think Chris Carter is a misogynist? Yes. Uh, Yes. Yes. Hard. Do Mm -hmm. I think that he wrote these tropes? Um, and included these underlying harmful harmful and traditional female stereo- stereotypes on purpose? No. Mm, no, I think he's dumb. I don't think he even, I don't but think he's smart enough to realize that what he's doing. That's even 
which is which even is worse. worse because they're that just shows that they're that harmful and speak to truly how ingrained they are in men that like they just unconsciously write their women like this even the most feminist of them in in scully cut to an arsonist man having an orgasm again over the pictures from the crime scenes Ew, like it's fucking nasty it's just like this whole episode is like one big fetish and it's just bizarre. Phoebe and Mulder are showing him a slideshow and Scully like very hesitantly walks over, but she stays in the door frame. And it's really sad because Scully doesn't talk around Phoebe at all. Not at even all. to Mulder. Like she doesn't say anything. And they cut to her constantly. Constantly. And it just frustrates me that like she would question her confidence in front of another woman. Like. Scully has been through the fucking ringer already with men who have brazenly questioned her competency and she did not back down at all. See Ice as yes. just one example. So like and why? Eve, even. And Eve. So like why do men think that a woman would be the one to do that for her? Because they think that women operate on a very shallow materialistic level. That's all surrounded around vanity and men's attraction. I was going to say, they yeah. Think, yeah. It's all about the male gaze. It's all that they think that that's all that we value and that we view any other woman as competition because it affects how – it affects what men are looking at us. When exactly. Really, <laughs> all I want to be surrounded is by women. I would love if men yep. stopped looking at me, actually. Please. Um, the doctor's blatantly flirting with Phoebe. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, like, why is that an acting choice? And, like, when he says later, you've got quite a case for yourself here, Mulder. Like, yep. he's talking about Phoebe. Yep. It's disgusting. And then I would also like to call, remember this moment, because um, I'd like to call that into contrast with how he interacts with Scully later on. So just remember uh, this. Yeah, no, I wrote that too. I think this episode is frustrating because it's very one-sided in terms of like who's taking care of who and who's showing their devotion to who. (laughs) And it's sad because um, Scully is already very much so in this like them versus us mentality, like the government versus us, like everyone versus us. Whereas Mulder's made it completely unclear whether or not he even gives a shit about her. Scully's questioning his devotion to her um, and what makes her question that and suddenly makes her feel like an outsider is a literal British traveler. That's it. Who's coming Just from some... another bureau that does not exactly. work with them, who is literally an outsider. And like this could get like very nuanced and, and the fact that Phoebe is as confident as she is proves that pretty privilege exists. Scully is just as smart and like we'll talk I want to talk about pretty privilege and like the male gaze and all that stuff in Mm -hmm. another episode for our sex ed corner but like briefly Scully is just as smart if not smarter and more capable than Phoebe and yet we hear the first innuendo like CB said about a man quote wishing he was in Mulder's shoes with Mulder looking off at Phoebe hello and like because Scully is is beautiful like if you know me you know, like I worship the ground that this woman walks on, really? but like she's not conventional. <laughs> Who is this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got me. Um, but she's not like conventionally pretty. She's not like amicably pretty. She's not pretty in a comfortable or acceptable or acceptable way. Mm-hmm. And because of that, she has to fight for men to look at her so that they listen. Whereas like Phoebe has eyes on her at all times, and when she speaks, people listen. Mm-hmm. 
does that mean that she's taken seriously? I mean, she is in this episode. Kind of, but then she's discredited at the end. Because was she only down here to have an affair with the husband? What even was that? This episode is so fucked. It's so like, fun. not only is the plot just like, the plot is like a tassel rug. <laughs> like, the, the all the little tassels are the plot. Yep. There's just no start, no end. You're correct. Nothing ties together. That's a good metaphor. Um, and so is like, so are the gender roles in this episode. Mm-hmm. Cut to, which, which is just proof that Chris Carter has no idea what the fuck he's doing. Yep. So cut to Cape Cod in Massachusetts, which is like such a cute little spot. Cecil, the man who starts the fires, is there is at this house as a painter. Um, and we find out that there's a body buried in the backyard. Okay, so perfect. So we're back in the basement. This part really got me because Mulder tries to play hero again and like tells Scully that she doesn't have to be on the case to which Scully's natural reaction is uh, the fuck, fuck I do because yeah. this is my job and this is my journey too. Like you don't make my decisions for me. You don't get to be like, I'm not going to put you through this. Fuck off. Exactly. That's what I have written. And then Mulder being like, I'm not going to put you through this how about this okay how about we respect her autonomy and her ability as a grown woman to make the choice herself and stop literally blowing your load over your male male savior complex literally though like Like, it could have been it's so simple if he would have just been like look this is a case from my borderline abusive ex if you don't want to be involved you don't have to but if you do want to i'd appreciate the help but like it is completely up to you that's how you be considerate about it. You don't be like, don't worry. I'm not going to put you through this. Like, pff, shut the fuck up. I hate it. I hate it. Also, her sitting at his desk doing work is really sexy of her. Her glasses are immaculate and I want to kiss her cheeks. No. What we get out of this scene is Mulder having his male savior complex on full fucking display again. Mm-hmm. We find out that he hates fire. He I had nightmares care. about being trapped in a burning building. Phoebe knows and Scully's like bitch she's being manipulative and Mulder's like no i'm gonna push through it like like go to therapy i know go to therapy like and then i just wanted to call um attention to the conversation that like is oddly personal for them at this point Mulder says um 10 years it's taken me to forget about this woman and she shows up in my life with a case like this Scully says, so she shows up knowing the power she has over you and then makes you walk through fire. Is that it? And Mulder says, Phoebe is fire. No, Phoebe's Dory. (sighs) Yeah, Phoebe's Dory. Phoebe's (laughs) not fire. Phoebe is Dory. Phoebe's from the ocean. So it's like, again, it's just like sticking with this theme of like Mulder literally being emotionally the most fucking vulnerable like Mm -hmm. ever. And all Scully has done is like shown him her ass. So Scully says one more time, are you sure you don't want me on this? And she doesn't want to push his boundaries because she respects him. Crazy how she can eat Amazing. his boundaries and his autonomy. It's not right? wild. It's yeah. so wild. And she's worried about him and how toxic Phoebe seems to be, mm-hmm. but knows he can make the best decision for himself. Hmm. Hmm. So then Mulder says, like a real man, because he's a big macho man and he knows how to do everything right. He says, sooner or later, a man's got to face his demons. Go to therapy, you fucking freak. Literally. Like, what are you, what? Literally. What do you, what does that line even mean? What does that mean? The fact that he's putting other people's lives at risk 
to face his demons. Exactly. Like, you realize this is a case that other people's lives are on the line exactly. for. And he's like, no, I'm going to push through it because I'm a man. I don't need help doing with the d- Like, what? That's... <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, I love how Mulder's instinct is to literally just run headfirst into his biggest fear. And that that scene as like this heroic thing no, when that's really fucking stupid it's- and jeopardizes your life and the lives of those around you. That's it. Yeah. And it's so funny to me that we see Scully go to therapy multiple times. And never once do we see Mulder go exactly. talk to a counselor. Not once. Exactly. He just what, talks is therapy to Scully. a female thing? Fuck off. Chris Carter just, a therapy challenge. Yeah, he just talks to Scully. God, I feel so bad it's for not Chris her Carter's t- wife. It's not Scully's job to be Mulder's therapist. It is not Chris Carter's wife's job to be his therapist. Should we start? Is she okay? I wonder how she's doing. Start a GoFundMe for Chris Carter's wife. <laughs> I know. So anyway, so they're back at the house in Cape Cod, and we get a very unnecessary lurking and creepy uh, ogling shot of this fireman watching this wife that he's now fixated on why do they need to make this episode sexual why do they need to make it about stalking a woman and further traumatizing another woman for literally no reason i don't know just it's just fun plot emily it's just don't you know that that's what's interesting i feel really bad because i feel like the the deeper we get into this series like and the more women are traumatized and the more that becomes a central Um, plot line like the more angry we're gonna get Mm -hmm. and I am not great at articulating things when I get angry because I just okay I'm I'm very rarely good at articulating things so so it's gonna be a lot of like size and it's okay but then I feel stupid you're not stupid stop you literally don't do this you say the smartest shit on here you're so intelligent and you articulate beautifully all the time that's how i feel about you that's how i feel about you right now i feel like you're doing all of the mental work for me and i'm just like no stop i mean i've been ill prepared like the last five episodes so that is not true unlike Mulder and scully at this point this is a completely reciprocal reciprocal and equally divided friendship thanks i love you i'm serious Yes, keep going. I love you. I love you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then there's like this weird scene in the, a bar and like, it's just so unnecessary, dragged out and unnecessary. And like the Cecil, the fire guy goes to the bar and he fucking lights his arm on fire and then he lights the whole bar on fire. Anyway. So because of that bar incident, this woman is in the hospital. So Phoebe and Mulder go to the hospital um, to talk to her. Yep this whole scene is fucking useless except for the woman his hair looks like shit yeah the woman says all she remembers is that he had a british accent and she like agrees to describe him to a sketch artist yeah well can we just talk about how they throw in that she lives with somebody who can't know that she was there because it's just fun to throw in that she has an abusive relationship oh my god as we're going through this i'm just like you're you're enlightening me to all of these things and it's like (sighs) that's how i felt last episode with you you blew my mind on Eve. <laughs> like, he couldn't have made it that, like, she was supposed to be in class or something that night? No. He wanted her to be... So, he like, he fetishizes women's trauma. Like, that's... He has a weird fixation. You're right. You are right. That That's it. It's that simple. And anyone who... who like, I don't understand how this is not so plain to see. Like, what is the Because purpose? we're desensitized as a society to women's trauma. So many things fetishize it that we're just, we're like, oh, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, she probably does have an abusive yeah. husband. Like, we're so desensitized to that that we're not going to so look at it and be like, why is he fixating on this? Because that's kind of how the world is. 
Holy shit. You know what I mean? And I just want to say too, like, and it, it also speaks to the fact that all men benefit from, from violence against women. All men. Yeah. Men who are not directly violent towards women still benefit from, from mm-hmm. that, from men who yep. do that. And this is this and this is one of the ways in which that manifests. So like yeah, and then Phoebe like casually gaslights Mulder. I love that they blake blatantly talk about past sex that he has had with her. Like they're very explicitly talking about sex that they had on a specific night, and that would never ever happen with Scully. And it never does. Never, never. once is there an explicit never. moment where she talks about ha- her having sex ever. Other than Mulder saying ever. tone down the afterglow in season eleven. And then that sex resulted in a pregnancy because apparently women can't have sex without some sort of violence or pregnancy happening. Where's their child? They had sex. So um, then we go to um, Cecil and he's like very weirdly talking to these two kids at this house. And we have a voiceover of Scully basically outlining who she thinks the suspect is. um, Solving the case while they're fucking around. Exactly. She says that the suspect will often act out of impulse, satisfying sexual urges or insecurities with destructive behavior, which compensates for his social inadequacies or maladjustments. What does that have to do with anything? I don't understand. He's an incel, is what you're saying. (laughs) Like, he takes out his inadequacies and his hatred for himself on women. Back at the FBI, Scully goes to talk to the arson man, and let's just... One, why is he looking Scully up and down while he's fucking suckling on the end of his glasses? Like, stop looking at my wife he's, like that. That, that doctor, like, I don't know if, was it direction or is the actor just a fucking creep? Like, what's wrong with him? Honestly, it could have been yeah. either. Um, and suddenly talking to Scully about literally the exact same thing he was talking to Phoebe about, he's unironically less enthused. Mm-hmm fuck him and so scully just basically asks if um the stuff that they're talking about could be put into something that starts that sets people on fire like they're what is it called it's like a i can't remember some some substance that sets fires very easily and makes them and allows them to reach temperatures that are like uh, you're unable to put them out basically yeah so then cup then he's just like maybe and that's it Every single fucking scene in this show is in this episode is useless. Yeah. So then the voiceover comes back and Scully is saying that the arsonist is usually unmarried and prone to obsessive fantasies about women or men who are inaccessible to him. Yeah. I love that this episode is kind of Mulder being or is kind of Scully being like, fuck you, Mulder. I do what I want and I do it in your desk. Yep. Yep. Literally. Basically what Scully's saying is that he sets fires and kills people because women won't talk to him. And is anyone like, surprised? The projection is just unbelievable. Oh, fuck. I'm like, you so, think you're Mulder in this episode? Bro, you're Cecil. No, like, seriously? Like, Chris Carter is... Is is it Cecil? Haven't I been saying Cecil? Oh, I don't give a fuck. It's probably Cecil. Anyway, I like Cecil. Um, I like Intel. Literally, it sounds <laughs> like that. Chris Carter is Cecil, and he... No. Yeah, yeah, this metaphor is not going to work. But basically, like, yeah, Chris Carter is Cecil. But, like, in Chris Carter's world, the fires that he's setting are his destruction of his own show and his own legacy. And the women who won't talk to him, he takes out and manifests in Scully's trauma. That, that metaphor did work. 
You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, I do. So anyway, Scully's in purple a lot this episode. And I just want to say that like Scully, I have a like affinity for Scully in purple and that's it. Heart. Heart. Back to fucking Phoebe and Mulder. Phoebe says that there's going to be a party in Boston and Mulder says that's probably where the arsonist is going to set a trap. So Phoebe says then we need to go to the party and we need to go discreetly so we can blend in. Yep. So cut to the hotel where the party is happening and um, Mulder's like go- going through his hotel room and he's like, ooh, look at this comfy bed. Phoebe, Phoebe would do this for me. He's like, maybe we'll fuck on this later. Like, sir, Scully was ready to fucking die for you about two episodes ago. Where was your boner then? Huh? Literally. God, I hate him. Like, <sighs> oh, and also in that conversation that they had, he, they're talking, he's talking to Phoebe and he's like, I'm just not used to someone so quick to agree with me. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> that is my whole note. Just a really emphatic, shut the fuck up. Which makes sense because Chris Carter wrote this episode and I wish Chris Carter would shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, so that feeling is so apparent. Just, in this she's episode. not, Scully is not a, like, it's like she's being, Scully is depicted as being the difficult woman who's like, yep. who doesn't agree. And it's like, oh my God, finally someone who agrees with me, this like bitch I work with is so difficult all the time when really she's just trying to solve the fucking cases. I'm done. Literally. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. As if her questioning him constantly doesn't not only help them solve the cases, but to prove him right 90% of the time. I hate this episode so much. So um, Scully calls Mulder and tells him that she has some information and she's going to come up to Boston. To which Mulder says, no, you can't because um, you have to, I'm going to have sex tonight and I can only have sex. I can only have sex if you've been abducted and presumed dead or at the very least not in the same city as me. So Neither Mulder or Phoebe could fucking care less about the victims and it's gross when Scully is trying to put the case back in perspective and it's like, she's a difficult one. And yeah, she's a difficult one. And so then of course, Scully lets out the fucking sigh of the century before she hangs up. And it's just so stupid because she cares so much. Scully cares so much and she cannot comprehend why Mulder put himself in a situation where he was even tempted on the job. Like there's so much internal wrestling from Scully between her wanting to love Mulder, but also recognizing the importance and her devotion to her career. And then she sees Mulder doing both. And she's like, what the fuck? Because it's like, that is that not necessarily within your career, but that is like the ultimate struggle of women. It's like they're, they're forced to choose between a career and their personal life. So then Phoebe and Mulder are there at the hotel and Mulder's like fucking wandering around doing Lord knows what. (laughs) He's an idiot. He's still in love with Phoebe, clearly, despite, or he has in love. I don't know. He's, he, whatever. Despite the fact that she has literally gaslit and manipulated him this entire episode, Phoebe's trying to get laid. And it's funny to me that he's just willingly letting himself fall back into a toxic situation when Scully, someone, maybe not romantically, but someone who is fucking there for him, supports him. 
supports him 100%. And you can tell that she's very much coming on to Mulder, maybe even past what, what he's comfortable with. But like, yeah. dude, you are a sensitive little baby. Why do you not know a good thing when it's right in front of you? That and also th- this again I say for the umpteenth time, is a case where people's lives are at stake. There are more important things than your fucking dick. Thank you and good night. Yep, <laughs> exactly. And honestly, this episode, like, we thought that it was bad at the beginning. It just gets worse. Yeah. Like, so then Mulder and, Mulder and Phoebe are dancing. Because they don't think he's there. They're like, oh, we could, we could have a little dance. Like, are you kidding me? Let's just dance. Like, I hope Scully went to a bar and got laid after this case because she deserves it. Seriously. I hope she, like, went angry fucked somebody because she deserves that. And then Scully, of course... (sighs) I know. First of all, he ditched her again. He ditches her all the time. And then she walks in on him dancing with Phoebe. And she's like... This is what you meant, but you had your hands full? Yeah, I don't want to be taken advantage of anymore. So it's like a fucking a fucking course and yet she still she will like she still stands by his side and it's like i know well and the thing is is that she's like so uncomfortable she's like jesus christ really this is what he's doing she's clearly frustrated then she turns and there's some creepy man watching her in the hallway exactly and she makes that exact like uh i'm just gonna ignore it face that like is so visceral for so many women when you see a creepy ass man leering at you and it's just like I just wrote all of that, like that, like him ditching her. Then she sees him dancing with, with Phoebe on, on a fucking case. Mm-hmm. And then she's like wrestling with the fact that she's like, well, what the fuck? And then some fucking man ogles at her and like looks at her so creepily. And I just did a keyboard smash because I just, I, mm-hmm. and then she turns fucking around and she sees fuck Mulder and Phoebe sticking their tongues down each other's throat. She does not deserve this. No. And then when they when she sees that there's a fire, like the low-key joy in her face when she has a reason to interrupt them and like she was so smug and it's so well deserved. It's like good. Be go exactly. and fucking rub that shit in their face. Be like, there's a fire and you guys are doing nothing about it. You're sitting here making out. What the fuck are you doing? Because she's doing all the fucking work. She runs in and interrupts them and says there's a fire on the 14th floor, and that's where the children are. Again, there's a sm- there's a smirk on her face because she's right. Again, she gets to interrupt them and be like, "You fucking idiots!" She's like, "You're fucking lucky I came here, anyways." Yep, exactly. So, like a true man, Mulder says, "I am not equipped at all to handle this, so I'm going to assert myself um, and dive in headfirst yep. on something that I have absolutely no business being involved in." God forbid he asks that he needs help in something. God forbid. Um, which of course results in so he runs up the fucking stairs, runs to the floor that's on fire, <laughs> and then he starts planking. Of course, results in in him on the verge of passing out on the floor in a plank position. I couldn't care less about Mulder's fear. Like, how does David even looking like that truly make me feel nothing emotionally? Nothing. <laughs> so then, while this is all happening, we see. Um, Cecil come down the elevator with the children. I wrote, God, I want to fuck a firefighter. That was a note I wrote. It's true. 
yeah so scully rushes over what is is, this is so anyways so the firemen the firefighters rescue molder they bring him down meanwhile cecil comes down the elevator with the children like because he rescued them when he was the one who set the fire in the first place and molder's like laying on the verge of death and Scully rushes over to him to make sure he's okay. She's touching his leg. She's pushing his hair out of his face. And he hates her for it. He, like, literally pushes her off. I know. Like, because you're a man and you don't need help. Literally, fuck That's off. it. That's Just it. Fuck That's off. literally it. And so then she... Who is Dick Shrivel Levin falls off? Seriously. Do you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I could, like, put it back when he's good again. Okay, yeah. Fine. It's like when he's bad, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No dick. So so (laughs) then he's back in his bed and Scully literally nurses him back to health. She hands him a glass of water, which is so ironic with the note that we made in Fallen Angel. I know. And this is Mulder's wet dream, like just him being nursed back to health by by Scully. Scully. His other woman comes in. He's still not wearing clothes. And it's actually his wet dream because in what episode is that? In Kill Switch, he fucking yeah. that is his dream. It that is. is what he dreams. But you know what his that means? Dream? It's Chris Carter's dream. Exactly. Those of you who haven't watched Kill Switch yet, Mulder like basically it's season five. Yeah, has a uh, somehow basically you get into his psyche and you recognize that like his wish, his unconscious wish or dream is that Scully comes in and like saves Rescues him and like him. nurses him back to health. Yeah. So it's like, where's my doctor, Doctor Scully? Doctor Scully, where is she? I need her. And then she comes in and beats the shit out of yeah, everyone. It's so hot. Shut the fuck up. Everybody else also wants her. Like you're not special. Yep. You're not special. Um, yeah, he doesn't give a shit. She's like literally there nursing him back to health and he does not care. Um, he's being very cold. And then Phoebe comes back, comes in the hotel room mm-hmm. to defend Cecil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, S- Scully says uh, he couldn't have been watching the chill. Oh, that's what Phoebe says. Oh, Phoebe says- drives me crazy. Phoebe, Phoebe defends uh, Cecil by saying that that couldn't have been, he couldn't have done it because he was watching the children. And Scully's like, um, hold on. He couldn't have been watching the children because I saw him downstairs right when the fire started. Ogling at me. And Phoebe's like, no, you must have been mistaken. And I was like, don't gaslight her. And I'm talking to Chris Carter. <laughs> I'm not talking to Phoebe. I'm talking when to When it's Carter. also just like the fact that like he would write a woman like you're disappearing ugh. into your background <laughs> good i wish i would i wish i would disappear i wish i could disappear into stella's tits right now we don't live in a perfect world but in this imperfect world that we live in usually women believe each other yeah and phoebe doesn't even acknowledge scully at no, all not again she does again. another half-hearted goodbye as she leaves um so and then the first thing molder here this is the contrast of the century i hate that cut that out this is the contrast that i would like to call attention to the first thing molder says when he wakes up is where's phoebe and then the first thing that scully asks when phoebe leaves is are you okay she deserves so much better than that fucking stupid alien boy so much better so molder's pouting and scully's like yeah remember me we work together I came up here to rescue you and show you my evidence that I've been working to collect. She said, while you've been distracted, I've been solving cases, bitch. So she says that Cecil worked for two of the victims 
uh, the all fire, no smoke, rational and completely non-believing Mulder says, so he's clean. Yeah. Just like that. Like, I literally think Chris Carter got so disillusioned by his projections in this episode, he forgot who he was writing saying what. Exactly. Like, that's so out of character. What? And I actually yelled this at the screen as I was watching. Like, Scully does all the work in this episode all so that Mulder can pout. That's all he does. Literally. This entire episode is him throwing a fucking tantrum. Like, yeah. So they get on it and they try to get Cecil. And when Mulder gets up oh i wrote this too away she like she needs to lower the Scully's volume face rain it in rain it in girl jesus you, christ you're being too loud we all we can see it you gotta you gotta rain it in and it's like yeah of course she would she would be attracted to him in this moment when he's treating her like shit but it's like baby she's, we have to post a gif of that because she's oh yeah 100%. Feral. of course Scully goes back to work and she gets a fax of the arson suspects composite um and Scully realizes that it's the driver who's also waiting for the family back in Cape Cod. So not great. Yeah. So Mulder gets to Cape Cod and he walks in on Phoebe making out with the husband. And he's like, boy, I knew you were toxic, but now I know you're toxic. It's like they're acting as if how she acted isn't enough for him to be mad. She also has to kind of not really cheat on him. He's like, boy. Like what? <laughs> like you also like you also have to assert that she's a slut. Like she couldn't have just been like a not good person that he doesn't want in his life. Like you have to slut shame here. What? Also, they're not t- committed to each other. I don't like seriously. I'm fucking done with this episode. I hate it so much. So Scully shows up at the house and says it's the driver and that he and then Mulder's like, Yeah, well, great. He fucking fled. But then it's actually the caretaker who was also the driver temporarily because he made the actual driver sick yeah who's upstairs with the children and then they find the actual driver who is fucking burnt to a crisp (laughs) then the whole house starts on fire and there's like (sighs) i I wrote Mulder hitting fire doesn't work (laughs) he's like if i want to be a man i have to fight fire (laughs) like Scully's like, Scully's like Scully's <laughs> like Scully's like watching him whip the fire with like a pe- like with a sheet and she's so like she's like oh my god oh my god she's like so horny that she like doesn't tell anyone to leave she like, like can't register she's like she's like watching him and she's like oh my god oh my god but like she can't look away and so she can't be like she doesn't have the like the the peace of mind to like turn around to be like oh shit there's people here let's get out of the house no <laughs> And also, I was like, bro, you can accept some help. This is a supernatural arsonist. You don't need to beat it with your, like, he's like, square up. He's like, let's go, flames. You got nothing on me. I'm a man. So Mulder goes up to get the children, and the dude lights all of the upstairs on fire, trapping Mulder. <laughs> then Scully's downstairs waiting to shoot him. Phoebe suddenly likes Scully now and is working with her and acknowledging her existence. So she throws some accelerant onto Cecil and he literally becomes a zombie yeah. and like walks outside and like bursts into flames. I wanted to say that I hate that they put Scully in <laughs> positions where she has the suspect cornered, but because of some outside like reason, she can't shoot. Either it's going to like, yeah. the, fu- the spark is going to cause a bigger fire or like something happens where she can't actually execute it. So somebody else has to do it. Just let her be good at her job. Let her shoot please. someone. Like... They do later, but and and um, I wrote a story once in third grade about uh my friend's guinea pig, 
like being alive mm-hmm. and like dressing up and shit. Um, and yeah, it was better writing than, than this episode. I don't doubt it at all. The thing is, is that I'm sure Fox saw this episode as the 12th one and was like, yeah, don't, he can't write any by himself anymore. Don't, oh, don't yeah, let 100%. very many of those happen. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Cecil like collapses, but he doesn't die. They're back at, at, in the basement at the FBI. Mulder is reading. Would you like to say something about his fucking glasses? Go for it. No, I'm mad at him this episode. Fuck his okay, glasses. Okay, fine. His hair looks like shit this episode, so I couldn't care less. Okay, perfect. I like the sick driver. That's my man of the episode. Perfect. So Scully says, we don't see her yet, but we hear someone with a British accent uh, ask Mulder if, she, if he wants to take her to lunch. And of course, we're supposed to think it's Phoebe, but it's not. It's baby British Scully. Baby British Scully. And... And then he's like, you scared me. <laughs> and then he repeats a line that he said in the beginning of the episode that... Then the one you can't dance to it. Because Shut. there's because Phoebe <gasps> gave him another tape. Well, uh, what's funny here is that Mulder and Scully are kind of like girlfriends here to where she's like, how are you doing? Like, did she call? And he's like, no. And she's like, oh my God, you heard nothing. And he's like, well, she sent this tape. And she's like, OMG, did you play it? Are you gonna? And he's like, no. And she's like, oh, babe, I respect that. Like, you deserve better. That's so much better for your mental health. Don't play it. <laughs> You're right. That's so funny. You're right. Wow. That's really funny. They're like us there. <laughs> yeah, they are. It ended again. With Scully reading her case notes because Chris Carter could not write a coherent episode if his life depended on it. So you got to go through the case notes at the end. And she looks so beautiful. She looks so beautiful. But basically she says, Cecil will survive, but he's all crispy. I hate this episode and I hate the ending, but like, I'll take it because we got Scully in her flannel, like all cozy at home. Just pretend that last scene didn't exist with the burn guy because it was just gross. It was just disgusting. But like also, I would like to, if you'll let me, just analyze Scully and Phoebe quickly because I really have been thinking about this dynamic for the past like two days ever since I watched the episode. I just want to say like a couple of things. Is that okay? Of course, always. Okay. So because there is something here, like there is like this, where did I have it? Let me go back because I didn't say it. Yeah. Like there is this larger discussion here about the femme fatale and like the lure of femininity. Um, but like suffice it to say that like femme fatales are just women who use the femininity that has been harnessed and commodified by a patriarchy to trick men and they're demonized for it. Yep. And like just going back i want to really like talk about i've been really i've been thinking about it so much but i can't quite put my finger on it and i think my it came down to like why did they have to have history between phoebe and molder came up with two solutions i think one you said perfectly was to make her very sexual and therefore a bad person mm-hmm. um And two, I think it's because a man could never simply be misled. Like he would, he he had to have been swayed by the feminine tresses of a femme fatale. By the sexual lure of this temptress. Like, of course, it couldn't be his stupid man brain because that's all superior. 
Exactly. And like it centers the narrative not around a reactive man simply falling short or failing, but on the active conniving woman. Yep. That's and that's the point. best I could do. No, that's the that's, that's such the best a good I could point. Do. That may- because I like and then, but then I get stuck because like Phoebe's, Phoebe's very manipulative and she's very gaslighty, but that has nothing to do with gender. Like mm-hmm. that's just gross. That's it's just, just her gross behavior. Person, yeah. Exactly. And also she used her femininity to like get the job done. And it's like, because femininity has been commodified and in the hands of everyone but women mm-hmm. for however fucking long this we've been on this planet, like good for fucking her like i love a femme fatale yeah. i love them um well the thing is is that they're directly pinning the femme fatale against the virgin mary stereotype and the virgin that's mary wins out exactly so here's the thing right when they do that it becomes inadvertently her sexuality that makes her the bad person that is the catalyst for the demise of man yeah. in this episode yep. like like inadvertently mm-hmm. but that's ultimately what this episode boils down to yep. And what's frustrating is that all of this is unconscious on Chris Carter's part. Like all of exactly. these stereotypes and very damaging and problematic perpetuations are completely unconscious and not like no one's saying Chris Carter's doing this shit intentionally. And it's worse that he's not in a lot of ways. Exactly. It just shows exactly. how much this is perpetuated. And then all of that got me thinking about like what you were saying, like the femme fatale versus this Virgin Mary um, structure that's created between Phoebe and Scully. I want to talk about very briefly the only way I could rationalize this. And it's like two feminist philosophers. I've already talked about one, but Susan Oaken and Marilyn Fry both talk about a double bind mm-hmm. that women experience. Susan Oaken frames it in the sense of marriage, which we've already talked about, about how, um, about how if you choose domestic life, you're, it's not valued as a woman or you choose a career that ignores your domestic responsibilities. So it's like either way, the double bind is that you're losing. There is no choice. There is no choice because either way you're losing and that doesn't, that goes against fundamentally the decision of choice Mm -hmm. or the definition of choice. And so we see this double bind here where you either conform to the power that's like demonized as like this Eve complex, like (laughs) that, like, you know what I mean? And like started on that. Yeah. Like, so you either conform to the power that you've been taught your femininity holds over men mm-hmm. and you're made a villain for it, like Phoebe, mm-hmm. or you repress your femininity like Scully was forced to, as we all know, because according to Chris Carter, you can't be smart and have tits. And we have an actual quote from him that we can include that like yeah. suggests that. Uh, yeah. And you're sexless and you're afforded no control over your sexu- over your sexuality. That is his view of women. Yeah, and those are the only two options. There is no middle ground. Yeah, that's exactly why her reproductive journey is so convoluted because he cannot reconcile the notion of a woman being both successful and her career and sexual. So it has to be like the perfect tragic mother figure. It can't exactly. be just, she can't like, she can't be a fully four-dimensional woman because he does not know how the fuck to write that. He doesn't even know how to comprehend that. Exactly. Because he doesn't view women, the women in his life as complex like that. So how, how could he write a character like that? And there's no women in the writer's room to be like, hey, um, this isn't realistic or this doesn't make sense or maybe we should explore this. 
and I think this is why it's so difficult to articulate because it, like it gets into, I think it was some Simone de Beauvoir, this um, vicarious circu- circularity. Mm. In order for women to be emancipated, they have to be equal. But first they have to prove that they're equal, that they're capable of being equal. And that will never happen for two reasons. One, because of the birdcade analogy that we talked about in a previous episode where mm-hmm. that Marilyn Fry coined, yeah. um, just about how women, even when the, um, what are those things on birdcages called? The bars. The bars of oppre- that represent oppression mm-hmm. are come down. Um, if a bird has been in a birdcage its whole life, it, it won't, won't know fly. how to fly. Yeah. Um, so that, and two, women um, choose the charms of femininity. And, and, and womanhood. And it's like, yes, that's problematic, but like, can you fucking blame them? Can yeah. you blame them? Well, it's a thing like Florence Given talks about it in her, um, in her book exactly. about how- Bring fem- it up, talk yeah, about it. About feminism is about choice. And it's like, if you want to grow out all your body hair and shave your head and not wear any makeup and, and be androgynous and like lean into that and say, fuck all feminine stereotypes and like expectations of beauty in society- do that. But if you want to shave your legs and shave your armpits and wear makeup and look very feminine and girly because you get treated better, that you have, like, of course, how can you blame somebody for not like a white? You, you said it perfectly. And it also just speaks to, this is like a perfect place to end, but it also just speaks to, I'm so happy you brought that up. That was amazing. Um, it speaks to the fact that like men sexual, have men have sexualized women I, w- I was going to say as soon as they hit puberty, but it's before that. Men sexualize girls and women, period. But then when a woman asserts her own sexuality, that's suddenly not okay. Mm-hmm. Basically, what this boils down to is uh, fuck this episode. Yep, fuck this episode. Like, I thought Eve made me mad, but this really makes me mad. Because Eve, Eve's... Uh, um, narrative about reproductive trauma I have so much more fleshed out in my head and so it's like all of these little like microaggressions that's what and this like, is it's the small teas that build up is. just yes. like my anxiety well, look at that it's a bookend and it's also like I'm just gonna say one more thing just generally it's like very telling to how Chris Carter writes and tells stories that he just decided to make Mulder afraid of fire despite the fact that Mulder was standing and watching their motel burn and burst into flames in the first episode yep that that, I mean that is exactly how Chris Carter writes the whole series he does not consider anything else that he's written as established and he just writes whatever the fuck pops into his mind and it's like, it was okay because all of his fucking boys were like, yeah, do whatever you want. Like, no one's going to care. Like, that will definitely, not thinking, I'm sure, that that would transcend past, like, Mulder's fear of fire. That that would transcend to, like, Scully's fucking reproductive journey. Yeah. Seriously. All right. Let's briefly touch on the topic that we don't really feel like talking about, but we feel like we need to touch on it and then close it out. Okay, very briefly, please. Oh, no, it has to be brief. Let's I have to go it. anyways. It's late. Um, Started off. Okay, so there's been a lot of press for The Crown lately because Gillian Anderson is playing Margaret Thatcher. And the press escalated from Gillian in interviews being really vague and kind of not talking much about Thatcher, the depiction. And now that the trailer is out, it's clear that the show is going to be glorifying Thatcher as 
what seems like might be like some kind of feminist icon is what the show looks like it's leaning towards. And in her interview, she's blatantly excusing Thatcher's um, horrendous trauma and destruction that she's caused for so many people by talking about her as like a, um, she had a troubled, a trailblazer and saying that she had a troubled childhood. A self-made woman. And this is upsetting, obviously, because Jillian is such an inspiration to us in so many ways. Um, and this is not one of the ways. This is this is white feminism rearing its head as it often does. And it's um, showing that I say this in not an excusing way. It just is really revealing that like she's human and there are, and there are areas that she still needs to work and educate herself on. Um, as do we all, but it, it's just, it's disappointing to see because you, you would hope that this would be an area that um, there, there wouldn't be faltering in. Thank you for, thank you for articulating that so perfectly. I didn't, I just did that off the top of my head. I don't know if that made any sense. I was listening. So I was, no, that was perfect. That was perfect. Everything that Stevie said, I would also like to just say that like, calling out somebody that you admire calling out anybody not just someone that you admire but specifically in a female world a woman calling out another woman on problematic behavior is not anti-feminist no Um, in fact it is feminist (laughs) it's exactly what feminism is about the second thing i'd like to say is that we recognize that in order to, I mean, I'm not an actor, Stevie is, but I'm able to recognize that, and I think most people are, that an actor puts aside all preconceived notions and um, beliefs and views and opinions on a historical character um, going into preparing to play and ultimately playing them. But the reality is, is that when you are doing press for someone, a historical figure that you've played, uh, humanizing beyond your acting choices, suggesting that because she was the first female prime minister, that that in and of itself um, transcends all of the horrible things that she did to other women while she was in office. And you can take that and see, and you see how unsettled and angry and upset it makes you feel to see her actively not speaking out to just reaffirm how important it is for you to always speak out about what you're believing and what's important. Yeah. So essentially, um, is that we don't condone white feminism and um, even in the at all, even and especially in the people that we admire most. Exactly. We actively are working to educate ourselves and like the things that you guys send us and tell us help every day. um, Us make sure that we're being more educated and that we're taking a intersectional approach to this um, feminist podcast because that's important. And that's all. Happy Halloween. This won't be Happy this Halloween. is gonna be a week later than Halloween by the time you guys listen to it. But but that's okay. Happy yeah. Halloween. Happy Halloween. And we love you so much. And thank you for listening. Don't watch fire again if you can um avoid it. Avoid it. Go watch yeah. all things or never again if you're needing like a mind cleansing episode. Yeah. Please. Seriously. Um, and we love you and we'll see you next time for Beyond the Sea. Oh yay. Thanks for
thank you for listening to The Sex Files. The Sex Files. Bye. Bye.